So today we are continuing uh, our series, God in All Things. I've really enjoyed this. Um, today I want to talk in particular about imposter syndrome uh, and in particular a spiritual imposter syndrome. I wonder if you guys have heard this phrase before, imposter syndrome. So it's like the the persistent pattern of thinking in you that you're like, you're a fraud and you can't quite overcome it. Oh my gosh, if people knew me for real, I they would know that I'm actually a fraud, that none of my accomplishments or any of the things that I talk about in life are actually make me worthy of anything. I'm a fraud. Um, I have to thank, actually, Rebecca, uh, who just prayed for us, I have to thank you for a meme that you posted earlier this week. I'm going to show you guys because it is it makes me laugh. So uh, this uh, is great. It's uh, a <laughs> quiz. Are you even good enough to have imposter syndrome? I love this. It's, it's imposter syndrome about having imposter syndrome. You're a fraud because you couldn't even have it in the first place. And that just, I think, really captures a lot of what people feel in general. It's Imposter syndrome is epidemic, I think, today. I think a lot of people suffer, uh, in particular for our discussion today, from spiritual imposter syndrome. And that's a big thing that we wanted to try to tear down in this series, God in All Things. Uh, before we're done today, we do hope that you hear the message loud and clear. You're not a spiritual fraud. God likes you more than you think God likes you. Uh, that, that, those are the kind of things we want you to come away with today. Uh, I remember uh, before I was a pastor, a friend that I worked with uh, in a job that I held at the time. And we often talked about spiritual stuff because I was in a pastoral studies program and this friend knew that about me. Uh, she was like one of the most disciplined people I've ever met in my life. Like she, you know, was the kind of person who got up early to exercise every single day. She was extremely like on top of her diet. She was uh, never ashamed to talk about uh, going to therapy. Like she was, she was somebody who really took seriously every aspect of health and was so disciplined and so on it. I was always very impressed with her. But despite that, she was convinced that she was a fraud. And I just, I, I remember like honest conversations, especially when we would talk about spirituality. She's just convinced that like, there is no such thing as like her feeling close to God because she's kind of convinced she's a fraud. There was no amount of things that she could do, uh, you know, accomplishments she could tick off or discipline that she could demonstrate that would make her stop feeling like she's kind of a fraud. And in particular in the spiritual place, like dissatisfaction is what she's destined to. She, she could never feel close with God. That might be true for me, her friend. That might be true for somebody else, but it could not be true for her. And that is spiritual imposter syndrome right there. It is, I, I think uh, most people struggle with some degree of this in their spiritual life. Like, oh yeah, that person I know over there could definitely be close with God or feel spiritual satisfaction in their prayer life but not me. That's for that person over there, not me. Now, interestingly, I think the fact that it's so like everywhere, I think that's proof that it isn't actually true because we can't all be frauds, right? But it's not that easy to turn off, obviously. So what I wanted to do today is I wanted to invite a couple of friends in this morning uh, from Brownline, who we're going to invite into this conversation, to get us talking about this, to get us talking about spiritual imposter syndrome. I thought about two different kinds of backgrounds uh, that describe people that come from our church, sort of like when we introduce ourselves every week. We talk about how there's there's some people who are here because they never really grew up in a highly religious environment, and there's some people here who did grow up in a highly religious environment, and that's why they're here, because growth was leaving that behind. And uh, so I wanted to try to grab somebody from each of those camps, loosely speaking. Obviously, all of us can only speak for ourselves, but I thought that it would help us, uh, the most of us possible resonate if we heard a little bit from people who kind of straddle the, that, that line there. So first, the angle I'm calling, I couldn't possibly matter to God because I actually feel really uncomfortable with Christianity. <laughs> or, you know, I couldn't possibly matter to God because I'm not that religious. Things like that. That's going to be the first angle. And sharing with us from her unique version of that uh, background will be teacher, covert woodworker, and a Brownline Church pastoral care team member, Abby Dye. Hey, Abby. Hi. What a um, what an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> you are a covert woodworker, but not so covert, covert anymore. Woodworker. I kind of like that. I should put that on my like LinkedIn profile that I don't. I think that's good. I think it's good. Although not so covert in Brownline anymore. Yeah, Welcome. No, We're no, glad you're here. Um, 
Yeah. Well, hello. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And then second, uh, speaking from the angle that I'm calling, I, I couldn't possibly be close to God because I've been told all my life that I'm not doing enough to be close to God. Uh, I'm not doing enough to about my faith. Sharing with, uh, with us from her unique perspective of that version uh, uh, is going to be recently promoted HR extraordinaire, unmatched <laughs> gift giver, unmatched. Uh, truly, some of the best <laughs> gifts I've ever seen in my life have come from this person. And Brownline Church worship leader, Elizabeth Bertrand. Hi, Elizabeth. Oh, wow. Thank you so much for that intro. Yes, <laughs> I am feeling all kinds of feelings about this topic. <laughs> so looking forward to Excellent. getting into it. Excellent. Yeah, me too. I, I'm really glad to have you too. I think that both of these uh, individuals will offer a great deal for us. So um, I'm going to start with, uh, we have a couple of questions and we're just going to kind of bat them around and I might ask some follow-up questions to these, uh, uh, these two. Uh, just so we can kind of tease this out. Imposter syndrome, spiritually, from a couple of different angles. So first off, um, we talk a lot here at BLC about the God revealed in Jesus not being cold and distant and like off in the clouds, but rather invested, close, emotional even, like like feeling things, uh, affected by things. And uh, the affect that we are considering today is like God feeling emotionally like interested in us, delighted in us, pleased with us. Like, oh my gosh, this person matters to me so much. That's what God is saying to God's self. And what I'm wondering, my, my first question often is like, what are the obstacles to that for you two? So what makes you feel like you could never matter to God? Uh, Abby, why don't we go to you first? Sure, yes. Um... So I actually also found that meme really funny that you shared because when when you asked about this, I was like, I don't know, like who am I to even have spiritually like imposter syndrome? And so I just, I found that very funny because that also resonated with me. Um, but I think there are kind of two big obstacles for me uh, to this and, and like not doing it right is one of them. And then kind of comparison of needs and worthiness is the other one I can think of. But for like not doing it right. I think what I mean is, um, you know, praying and kind of doing the whole talking to God and being spiritual things. So kind of, you know, all of it. Um, but being around people who, you know, know what to say and how to pray um, can sometimes make me feel um, needlessly self-conscious. Like um, I was kind of telling you this earlier, I get really sweaty when I have to pray out loud. Like am I using the correct prayer words, what are prayer words in general? Um, you know, am I, are people just thinking about how I'm just pausing and, and not actually saying real things? Um, am I supposed to use the third person? How am I supposed to know what to pray or ask for? And half the time, that's actually why I'm praying because I really don't have any idea. Um, and that's, you know, I'm sort of looking for guidance. And, and so what do you say when you just don't know? Um, and then there's always that like, oh no, like I didn't thank God first or pray for world peace. So maybe um, I'm actually selfish and and this isn't going to work because, um, you know, like I, this is, a, I'm trying to make it about me, but it shouldn't be about me. And there's that whole sort of back and forth that really clouds, as you can imagine, any sort of actual conversation. Um, and, you know, I don't really think that anyone is actually thinking any of those things when I'm praying. Like, I really, really don't think that anyone cares. And I don't think that God is thinking that either. Um, but there's just a really powerful dissonance. Um, between, you know, feeling and knowing. And I think we can really go in and out of that, of feeling like, well, because I don't know what to do, I couldn't matter. And even though I know like that seems a little ridiculous, you can, it, it's still a thing that I feel or a, th a thing that happens. Um, and then um, the other thing that I kind of talked about is that comparison of needs. And so like when I was, you know, talking about like, and I didn't pray for world peace first, it's like, well, you know, my needs aren't really that there are so many other things that are so much more important, um, than what I am trying to talk to God about. Um, and so it's really easy to, for me to compare levels of worthiness. Like I am really privileged and I have a good life. And so who am I to, you know, ask God for anything? Um, when there are so many other people who are dealing with weightier things that I think like should probably be prioritized first. Um, 
And it, it's really tricky for me because I think like if you asked me if there was any limit to God's joy or love or grace, I would say like, absolutely not. There, everyone, there's an abundance of it. Everyone deserves it. Um, like point blank, like that's, I do, I do believe that, but it's hard um, for me to wrap my head around that abundance because I operate such in a human framework, like people only some have so much time and energy and care. Um, and even though I know God is not people, I, I can't really understand that endless energy and love. Um, and so I kind of go to like, well, okay, there's a priority list. And I'm not at the top and that's kind of okay because I think there are other people who should be at the top, but then what does that mean for my relationship with God? Um, but I also, you know, in reflecting on that, think that idea is a little bit limiting. I mean, obviously, but it also assumes that like, I'm the one who knows it all and is trying to like help God delegate, um, which I think is also a little bit, you know, self-centered or not quite, um, it's kind of a reality check a little bit as well. That all makes so much sense. I, I, I very much resonate that. I, I think I kind of live in a, so I, I came into being a praying person in a similar way, Abby, and you and I have talked about that before. And so I resonate with all of that so much. Um, Elizabeth, how about you? Like what, when, when we ask this question of like, what are the obstacles to you feeling like, God might have these these emotional feelings toward you, being pleased with you. He, God, God thinks, oh, Elizabeth matters to me so much. Uh, what are the obstacles to that for you? Mm. So, well, before I answer that question, so when you first asked about this topic, I, at first I was like, oh, this is, this is a good topic to think about. You know, I feel honored about talking about this. And then um, similar to that me, that, that imposter syndrome feeling started creeping up. And I thought, there's definitely someone more qualified to speak about this that has more years under their belt um, about, you know, spiritual discipline. Um, yes, I have been a Christian or someone that has grown up in a religious setting since I was a kid, but who am I? Um, I should have come prepared with Bible verses this morning. I don't have any. So sorry, I can't help you in that regard. But um, and I guess that is an obstacle in itself. I feel like God holds me to a higher standard because I have been a Christian um, since I was a kid and I should have, I should come prepared all the time with a Bible verse, with um, uh, some kind of prophetic thought uh, or dream or something of that sort that um, I should have come, come with to the table. And I, I don't have that. I don't even remember the last time I opened a Bible for example, and read it. Um, and I've always felt that so daunting. And I feel like God can't certainly meet me because I don't have the Bible memorized from cover to cover. God can't certainly see my needs because um, I, um, I don't remember the last time I fully got down on my knees and, and prayed. And so that, that's where my obstacle lies. As someone that has been following him all these years, I should have it all together. Yeah, I, I feel this strong sense in what you're saying, Elizabeth, and Abby, in what you were sharing of there is a, there's a matter of worthiness involved. Does that, mm -hmm. does that feel true? Like, and I'm, I'm wondering if we can like, if we can follow that just a little bit and maybe not spend too much time on it because it, we, we don't really want to spend time on messages that are, you know, destroying our souls. We'd like to move on to some messages that might uh, enlighten us a little bit. Um, but I don't know, like, do, do you have a sense of like, was there, is there, is there messaging, maybe implicit messaging, but just messaging nonetheless, that has really brought up this worthiness thing of like, in order to experience God uh, being, having any sort of emotional reaction to you that's positive, you have to earn it or you have to be worthy of that. Can, you know, can you, can you source that from your childhood or just from the things you've picked up being somebody who, you know, walked around and did life the way you did it? So it's interesting you say that. There, I, I remember being at a church conference once and um, my hands weren't out. Um, and the person that was praying for me said, you know, you can't 
receive from God because you physically aren't putting your hands out. And the shame that I felt in that moment, um, I wasn't worthy of God's gift to me and what he had to give me because I physically didn't have my hands out. Um, And I I have wrestled with that of how to be certain times uh, physically. Um, Should I kneel? Should I raise my hands? Now, that's fine, you know, that if somebody does that. And there's sometimes I want to do that too. But um, I don't feel that I am any less worthy um, because I don't have my hands out or I'm not postured in a certain way. Um, but that is so has been so hard grained in me um, that even when, even today, um, I have to tell myself, you are okay. You are enough where you are in this moment. Hands raised, hollering or not, you know? <laughs> I mean, it, and it just feels like there, there is an understanding for most people, I think, like looking at what faith in the God uh, that Jesus shows humanity is supposed to be like, that you're supposed to actually like, like those questions are supposed to disappear, right? Because you're supposed to feel a deep belonging, a deep worthiness, and yet there's this dissonance. And it's, I mean, it's not so different from the dissonance that Abby was talking about before. Of course, this shouldn't be the case. She's, you know, like you, you kind of like demonstrated like perfect self-talk, right? Like, you know, this shouldn't be the case. I shouldn't feel this way. I don't actually believe this. But nonetheless, I do. There's a there's a mm-hmm. dissonance between what is said and what I feel, and, and and that feels real. Just because you brought it up, Elizabeth, um, shame. Use the word shame. Uh, this this feels like a big one for many uh, men who I have pastored that have been uh, socialized in highly religious settings, and so um, I a. I think a huge litmus test that I often hear for like, how is your spiritual health is basically uh, there might be kids present. So let me, uh, let me uh, mask this a little bit is um, how long since the last time you uh, M uh, word ending in eight. And so, and uh, uh, the, the, the challenge with that is like, I've seen so many men struggle with self-hatred. So many men who grew up in highly religious environments struggle with just like a stunted identity because they cannot believe that they can possibly be anything until they get one specific thing in their life figured out. And if they don't get that figured out, then God really isn't pleased with them and can't be pleased with them because that's the gateway. And I I just like there have got to be less cruel alternatives in our world for like, what does it mean for a man to grow up? And, uh, and so I, I just, I, shame is such a weapon that often implicitly is, is passed on to, uh, to men who are socialized in, in highly religious spaces in America. And that does not lead to them feeling uh, like, oh, God loves them. It leads to them feeling like, I, I, I think God probably hates me and I kind of hate myself. Uh, so I just, I couldn't, I couldn't help but not bring that up when you bring up the word shame. Um, Abby, just kind of throwing it back your way, um, thinking about like, were there any messages or implicit or explicit that maybe caused some of that dissonance that you were talking about? Yeah. So I grew up Catholic, but not, I was never particularly religious, but it always makes me laugh a little bit when like, uh, people refer to me as like not growing up religious because my mom, I don't feel like I did, but my mom would be like, wait, what? Like <laughs> you went to Catholic school. We, we went to church all the time. Um, but I didn't ever feel it. Like I never felt religious. Um, but I had that whole, I had that whole life experience of going to church in a pretty rigid environment and, and, and rigid in terms of like, you stand, you sit, you do all of the things. Like there are very much markers of like how you, um, go through mass. And so I, you know, growing up, that's, that's what I did. I didn't really feel connected to it. But then as I was trying to find like an, my own spiritual community, it was really hard because I was like, I don't really believe this, but this is what I know how to do. And then when people would talk about you know, the Bible, I had no idea what they were talking about. Like I had to memorize the books of the Bible, the names of them in order. And I was like, that's about, and like, you know, you know, a couple of parables, but like, I didn't really know what people were talking about in terms of like the facts and like the order of things. Like, 
So I was a little bit lost in that and felt a little like, oh, well, like I shouldn't be here because everybody knows these things about God and, and can sort of have this language of understanding church life. And I just don't know, like, I felt like I was too, not like religious enough for some environments and too religious for others. And there was just not a, a good fit in terms of somewhere that I actually felt comfortable and like I could discuss like what, like basically that I really didn't know, like I felt God, but I really had no idea what, how to talk about it with other people. Like there wasn't necessarily a shared language that I was a part of. That makes so much sense that, that being caught between like, too religious for this environment, but not religious enough for this environment. And what do you do when you're in such a, a position? You, you know, if you, if somebody doesn't meet you there, if there's not a communal space that can say, actually, that's a really healthy and awesome place to be in. Let's, let's grow together. Then of course you're going to feel like an imposter, right? Cause you, you go over here and you're an imposter and you go over here and you're an imposter. It, it's, it's a lose, lose situation. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, I suppose the second question then it feels like it's 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 dying to be asked to the two of you is has anything helped you leave behind some or all of imposter syndrome? Um, Elizabeth, let's start with you this time. Has has anything helped you leave behind any imposter syndrome spiritually? Leaving behind that community for sure um, helped me um, a lot because I felt like I. Um, could not hear what God had for me because I was busy hearing their voices of mm. what God had for me. Mm. Um, and I never really fully realized how much um, God had for me until I came to BLC. Um, and that there is a freedom in knowing that sometimes um, that sometimes he meets me out in walking outdoors and that is amazing or he meets me in my women's group and diving deeper into the women's group just hearing their honesty as well made me open up about being honest and I think that's where God God has met me the most um, in seeing other people being vulnerable about their struggles with God uh, versus being in an previously in an environment where there were no struggles. That is good all the time. What do you mean? What are you talking about that you're feeling depressed or uh, alone? Um, I never had that honesty before. Everything was always great. Honesty feels like a the key thing that was in, in what we identified before, which is you had maybe some of the right messages or maybe some of the right ideas that were supposedly what you were pursuing. But in practice, exactly. it never got there it, because it's because it was missing honesty. Exactly. Um, I echo with that a lot. Um, yes, I did hear um, about God's goodness and him saying, come as you are. But I wanted to unpack that a little more. But come as you are meant um, sometimes I just had a really hard week. Um, God, come meet me in that. And I, when I wanted to dive deeper, it felt like, um, everybody else had a great week and, um, I could not dive any more into that topic. And I felt like isolated in a way, um, because the God I knew I thought was supposed to, um, was supposed to be there, whether you were down or up or, you know, just confused and what I was receiving from others was there is never confusion or frustration or loneliness. Um, so, yes, absolutely. You, you talked to, for a minute there at the start about um, some different practices that you tried, practices that um, from, uh, from a background of uh, a church that has evangelical roots, I know that that's your story. I know that yes. that's many, uh, many people in this, in this church's story of more evangelical style um, teaching their entire life or instruction about what is spiritual growth. Um, so you talked about trying some practices that don't necessarily, aren't like the first ones that are recommended in those settings. Um, and I remember you and I were, were talking earlier this week about uh, other practices that were, that were delivered to you a lot. You have to do this, you have to do this. This is actually the only way. And um, has, has there been any like- yeah. Oh, fasting in particular. Tell me more. <laughs> why, why fasting? Um, 
to, to be closer to God, you know, you have to fast from food, for example. Um, and I, for me, I, when I tried it, I felt like I was just hungry the whole time. I couldn't even concentrate on what God had to tell me because I was thinking of the next meal that I had to have. I'm not to say that fasting is bad, but I think it's finding what um, makes you feel connected to God the most. Um, For me, uh, fasting from technology or fasting from just the everyday of work and just being outdoors to me, that is a connection to God. I think that is amazing for, for me. Um, or um, just like for me, reading a really good book and seeing what message comes from that doesn't necessarily mean you don't read the Bible, but I feel like coupling that with um, another book that draws you to what God has to say, I think is great. Um, You don't have to read 250 pages of the Bible every day to feel closer to God. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that the, the, you're, you're pointing out a really important uh, nuance here is that there is a lot of fear in um, that drives a lot of the messaging in some religious settings that people experience. And this is why they give such rigid, specific instruction about this is what it means to connect with God. And it, it, it's this or and, and we're not going to recommend anything else to you. You got to do this. And there, there's a lot of fear behind that, because if we don't give extremely specific or or or, or very rigid instruction, um, then people might just, you know, fall off into whatever and, and never connect with God again. And, and then what will we do? And what I'm hearing you say is that like being released into the wild where you weren't listening to those fear driven uh, voices was not an experience of like falling away. It was an experience of becoming closer to God because you had more freedom to explore different things. Exactly. Um, There was one other thing that I remember um, that spewed into my home as well, um, where, you, you know, home in a way is where you want to feel most connected to, to God. And you get that example from your parents is I grew up having to listen to Christian music all day long. That is the only way you could connect to God. Um, And I have found like listening to um, Neo Soul, Lauren Hill, or things like that. There are some messages um, that I have found that I'm like, Oh, I never thought about life in that perspective and listening to it that way um, makes me drawn more to God. Or the other thing was being friends with non-Christians was a no-no. I grew up uh, that you only had to be surrounded. And I felt like I was stuck in a bubble and I felt like my most meaningful spiritual conversations were with people that were not in the same circle as mm. me. And that mm-hmm. um, flexed my spiritual muscle to, to think more about um, who God was. And he is so much bigger than what I, just being stuck in this, um, inside this society of just super strict um, evangelical Christian. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that it, this this reminds me of the conversation that our church had, I think like a month or two ago, we talked about letting experience guide uh, how we uh, learn about God or how we how we pursue spiritual growth. And um, that can be a scandalous thing to hear for anybody who did come from that uh, that more evangelical infused experience, because in general, the only source of truth in evangelicalism is considered the uh, how they read the Bible. And uh, what we talked about is that there is a much more ancient tradition that doesn't just have one wheel on the ground. We called that the unicycle of like, it's only it, read, read the Bible this way and that's your only source of truth. But other people have talked about, talked about a tricycle uh, as an image for understanding a broader way to let various things that, that make up who we are and how we form our identities lead us toward what is spiritual health for us. And I think what you're describing is you went from a unicycle 
to a tricycle. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I think that's great. You know, like those are much more firm on the ground, right? Like letting the, the um, uh, one uh, thinker that we'll quote a fair amount here, uh, Richard Rohr, who writes a great deal about uh, modern spirituality. Uh, to, he, he refers to the tricycle as three things. He'll say the Bible or scriptures, um, you know, kind of your tradition is one wheel that's on the ground. Uh, another wheel that's on the ground is the community and tradition that you draw from. And so, you know, the people around you, the people who've gone before you and in, you know, they have, they have offered us invaluable things when we, when we're trying to figure out like, what is wisdom in this case, or what do I do in this case, or what, how, how might God be speaking into my life in this place? If we didn't have people around us or people before us to help us figure out what that is, you know, we'd, we'd be out of luck. We're just, we're just, you know, uh, relying on our own understanding. And then finally, the last wheel on the ground being experience and that being an okay way for us to understand what is connection with God. That doesn't mean that we're like leaving other things behind or that we're wanting to create a new unicycle that only has one wheel on the ground. It just means we're trying to fill out the balance a little bit better. And I just hear that all over your story, Elizabeth, that, that, this sounds a lot healthier and freer than what you were experiencing before. Absolutely. That's cool. I agree with uh, that. Abby, if we can jump over to you in terms of leaving imposter syndrome behind, feeling more balanced and not like you're a fraud all the time. What, what's helped you in that regard? Any, any practices or messages or anything like that? Um, everything Elizabeth said. No, I, I was like... <laughs> really wanting to do this like connection thing that we do at school because like a lot of what you were saying Elizabeth was really speaking to how I how I also feel of leaving that behind um and just what I was hearing you say and something that I I really feel too is that um that like I find God in like non-God places a lot or I guess rather like God is in all places um is probably more the the realization that um you mentioned going outside Elizabeth and, and for me, like going outside, being out of my head, um, is a very, just very quick and very, um, like kind of consuming way for me to feel connected, Mm. um, to God. It's, um, I like, like, you know, walking and I, I like, you know, kind of realizing like, Oh, I'm really small, but like in a good way, it's, um, I feel part of a community or part of the world around me. Um, and it really invites like wonder and possibility and calm. And I think none of those things can coexist with imposter syndrome. Yes. Um, and yes. so well physically being out of that is really, really helpful. Um, and just, you know, what you're saying about um, honesty with other people. Um, I've been so helped by um, like my, my share and pray group and my, just my friendships in BLC and outside of BLC. Um, there's so much truth that comes out when you share life with other people. And, and I think one of the truths that you learn very quickly, once you decide to be um, authentic and, and have an authentic friendship is that nobody really knows what they're doing. Um, and, and there isn't like the people who you think have it figured out don't. Um, and I like knowing that actually, like, I don't find that destabilizing. I think it's very comforting. Um, and that uh, it, there's a lot of, than like sharing real sort of sharing that can happen um and that like there's there's nothing that's necessarily put on by that and i think it really highlights the ways that we are connected um and we get by because of other people and um there's a lot of shared um just those shared relationships when you can actually like elizabeth when you were saying like you know, it, it's, it's hard when you say like, I had a really hard week and everyone's like, I'm fine. Um, you, yeah. know, you can't really get to that deeper level and you know that they're not fine. Like that's the other thing. Like, you know, that there's something else there, but when there's that, um, when you're just in community with other people and sharing daily life, like you, you realize really quickly that they're, that everybody is fine and nobody is fine, but like being able to talk about it, I think is very, um, is very helpful. And again, it gets you out of your own head. Like I, imposter syndrome for me, it's like, I don't need to be thinking about that all the time. I'm, I'm not really thinking about it all the time either, but it's, um, it's background noise. It's background noise. And there's so many yeah. other things that are more important and can get you closer to God and closer to other people. Um, and I think like getting yourself out of those patterns by, you know, sharing community for me, going outside, those types of things are, are very, very helpful. Um, and I just was the, the song that you guys were singing this morning, the, um, 
I really was really resonating with the part that's like more than words, more than good ideas. Uh, yeah, I found her love in the open fields, and I was like, I've I've heard that before, and for me, that's very like, oh yeah, like that's that's where I feel God is when I'm just doing things or when I'm just out um, or when I'm living life or realizing that I am connected um, to other people to the the environment. Um, I love that about me trying to be something for God. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I, I think just like, um, I, I kind of want to take that a little bit further. What, one thing that I had written down, um, and I was like, what, what would be my response to this question? Like what, what's helped me leave any sense of imposter syndrome behind? Um, at, so like sort of unsurprisingly, uh, from me, I would say like Jesus is really helpful on this front. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but like, I, I actually really mean that. So like, I took a little I, I tried to make a list of Jesus's interactions with common people um, in the Gospels. So not like, you know, like very important or super, you know, uh, religious elite or or or, or you know, powerful people, but just like random people. And so here here are, here is a list of things that Jesus says to common people like us. Uh, you are not far from the kingdom of God, Jesus says to one person who asks him a question. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus tells his disciples at one point. The secrets of the kingdom of God are revealed to you, he says to them in another moment. Uh, in uh, another moment, Jesus talks about how it pleases God to reveal things to common folks rather than to important or powerful people. Uh, he says to a crowd, do not be afraid, little flock, for, for God is pleased to give you the kingdom. Uh, or uh, this is actually one of my favorite in John 1. We actually did a, a prayer practice about this a little while ago. Uh, I think back in January, I find this one so beautiful. He says to, he says to uh, Nathaniel, who had become one of his disciples, um, there's this moment of like him seeing really the best in Nathaniel and Nathaniel kind of, the, the, the way we read the gospels, he strikes you as like a cynical guy. And Jesus says to him, here is someone who is true in whom there is no deceit. And I just, oh gosh, I love, I love that statement. And um, so I, I think for me, Really early on in becoming a praying person, I internalized these Jesus interactions as like, this is God's attitude toward me. If there's any truth to this idea that Jesus shows us what the God of the universe is like. So that means that God's attitude is those kind of things. This like, so ready to show you things, so pleased to, to give you the kingdom of God, give you like, oh my God, God is all around me. That is to, to so like ready to see the best in you. And I like, so I, I can definitely raise my hand and say, I am extremely lucky in that uh, my own background, um, culturally, religiously, kind of set me up to not have baggage. Um, and I've talked to this about many of you in this church before about like, so like I grew up with just the right amount of not very religious that I didn't get any of ugly religion, but also just the right amount of like, not anti-religious that when I had a spiritual experience, I couldn't explain. It was like, it made sense that I suddenly started going to church and became a praying person and figured out what that was. So I'm super lucky. And and for many people, I don't think it's quite so simple. Like you just hear some Jesus statements and then you change the way that you operate. Um, but I do think that, I think that we can make choices, even as no matter where we are, lucky or unlucky on that front, we can make choices now about like what messages we, we expose ourselves to, what cultures we actually spend time in now. And I do think it's really important that if you are going to listen to religious messaging, you listen to religious messaging that starts with the person and the character of Jesus when it starts to tell you what God is like. And because if you don't start there, I do think that you're going to get a picture that is this scary God who's yelling at Elizabeth because she's not fasting and won't hang out with Abby because she doesn't know what to say when she prays. You know, it's like, that that's ridiculous. You know, like we, we need to start with a better, a better starting point. And, and so I, I like, I'm grateful for the way that I was formed by re really early on. It was just like, Hey, if you want to figure out what God is like, look at these interactions that Jesus has with people. One last thing I wanted to say uh, just along the lines that I'd be curious to hear uh, Elizabeth and Abby, how you would respond to this is um, I think that like, like any relationship has virtuous cycles, right? Like when you, if we're talking about like you have a good friendship and you, oh man, we had a really great time and that was cool. Yeah. I feel really good about this. Like it leads to the next thing, right? It, that, that, that's how friendship builds. 
And I've been thinking a lot about how, as we've been preparing for this, how when you guys shared with me ahead of time, some of these things that you just shared with everybody, uh, like these are things I've left behind. These are ways that I'm actually like finding myself. Oh yeah, God. Oh, this is not, I don't have to feel like I'm looking over my shoulder like I'm a fraud. I kept on thinking, aren't those virtuous cycles? Like, doesn't that lead to more? And 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 I th- I thought about how like, I don't know. Like, what if what do we risk if we assume that wherever we are right now, however much you're praying, even if the only time you're praying is here on Sunday at church because you're with a bunch of other people who are praying, or like in a small group with other people that pray, that you don't pray alone at all. What what if that's where you are? But what if that actually really makes God happy? And you let that be a virtuous cycle. Like, do we risk anything? I, I, I don't think we risk anything, right? Like, that's got to go well. I, I don't know. How, how, does, how does that feel to you guys? Do we risk anything there? Or, or does it feel like, no, that, that absolutely would move me uh, to the next phase? Or, I, like, what am I missing here? Gosh, there's so much freedom hearing that. Um, I, feel like, I feel like all these shackles are broken off me. That man, you know, sign me up for this, God. Um, and that is just so liberating to hear that this is the God I serve. Um, he is not rigid. Um, he uh, He's meeting me where I'm at. Um, yes, whether I pray today or whether I pray, you know, in a week from now, um, I want to serve him more in that way. And there is no, um, the God that I know uh, is not this structured person. And I, I want to know him more. I want to know this person. Um, but that's how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I, I feel like the using phrases like just as simple as like, I want to, right? Like that, yeah. that is attractive to me. That, that changes it, right? Like I, I, I like, if we're talking about, you know, building relationship with God, but the only thing that ever is encouraging us to do that is, you know, a stick that's whipping us, you know, do do more of this or be more like this, fit in more. I, I'm just not sure that's how relationship actually works with anyone, let alone God. Uh, mm-hmm. Abby, I don't know if that was there anything else like that you'd pick out that that just stands out as we're talking about this topic. Yeah. And I, I think that it's interesting, like that you were talking about the cycle of it, because at first I was like, but, but then that still means that I'm like being complacent and I'm not like leaving room for, for growth. But I, I don't, I, I don't really, that, that, that was my first reaction, but I, I don't really, again, think that to a certain extent. Like, I think what really strikes me with what you're saying is, you know, God's meaning us where we are and we're accepting that for now. And then as that as we're doing, we're connecting with God in those ways, if it's like once a week, twice a week, whatever, um, in those kind of pockets that we have and things that make us feel connected to God, that eventually grows because your relationship grows. So it's not a like, I'm doing this step. So then, you know, I'll make it to the next step. It's sort of an acceptance of where you are and inviting God into that. And then sort of how that grows and where that goes with that. And so I do, I do like that and, and feel like that. I mean, that is how relationships in general build. And so it feels very, um, that it it makes a lot of sense to me and also feels like low pressure, which is good. Yes. Yeah. 100%. Oh, please, Elizabeth. You know, I was going to say, I see God less as a punitive person, um, in that, and that's what relationship is supposed to be. If I, you know, if I grew up in a culture that was very um, corporal punishment to me, mm, um, uh-huh. in, in my, and that's how God I saw Him as, and there was no room to ask a question or doubt or, and I feel like the God I know uh, now um, meets me more when I say I, I honestly don't know or I'm doubting right now. And he's like, okay, I got you. Let me sit down with you and see you where you're at. Where can I meet you in your doubt? Let me show you. I want to show you. Um, And he is this very embracing, compassionate person um, that I see now. Do you know, just, I I think uh, we kind of need to bring this to Elena just for time's sake. I'm I'm so grateful to you guys offering all of this. I, 
I think my, the final thought I'm coming away with just is, as you're, as you guys are both saying what you just said, and then I'm, I'm, I'm reaching back to grab what you said earlier, Elizabeth, about the, the ability to find God, even in, uh, e- like when you're honest, even, so even when things are, are rotten, you can still find there's some sort of like unlimited presence that God is still accessible yeah. there. And I, and I wonder if one of the great, like reasons we've had such, we've had such, such like slightly off teachings and instructions about this is how to connect with God. Maybe the reason we've had like the, the risk that, that, uh, that is often felt in those situations, the reason you resort to fear is because you're afraid like, well, we'll just go and look for whatever makes us feel good or feel happy. And, 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 but what I hear in what you guys are saying, as I'm thinking about, like, we're talking about God being present to us in the worst of things and not just in the best of things that doesn't at all feel like it's like you're just searching for like what's going to make you feel good. It sounds like you're searching for something, you know, again, to to bring this back to like Jesus shows us what God is like, you know, the the, the pinnacle of Jesus's life is suffering. It's it's not some triumph, right? You know, and and so there is this, I just think what we, that that fear that if we follow what what we follow in any relationship we might go you know we might we might end up in a bad path with god because we you know we we've got to remember sometimes we've got to rough it with god i just don't believe that <laughs> i don't believe it like i i i feel like if we follow what intuitively feels right with us in any relationship with our relationship with god that absolutely is going to guide us towards something that is bigger than us and it's not just you know, us looking to, you know, feel good or feel happy and, 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 and throw away what, like, I, I'm hearing more honesty, not less honesty here. Exactly. Well, I, I suppose maybe the, the last thing I'll say is like any, uh, is there a final encouragement, if you could boil it down to like a sentence or a paragraph uh, that you would encourage our community, Abby or Elizabeth, what, what would you say? Um, not great with the parting words, but let's see. Um, I I put you on the spot. I'm sorry. No, I mean, I, I think that the, what I feel like is one of the, the bigger things is, is what we were talking about with, um, just like accepting that you are enough how you are with God and God sees that. Um, and so whatever way that you connect with God right now is the right way to be connecting with God. Um, and that like, I, you know, you find God in places I think that you don't expect or are not traditionally, um, religious for me. Awesome. Awesome. Elizabeth, how about you? I guess that you break down that imposter syndrome if you are dishonest with where you are at and that God will meet you um, in that honesty. He is not going to turn the other way or look at you um, as someone that is not worthy of him if you're just um, not transparent. Mm, Very good. And, And I suppose my parting thought would just be to Think about the best relationships in your life when you think about building relationship with God. You know, you don't feel like a fraud with the people you feel closest to uh, for all of the things that Elizabeth and Abby were just highlighting for. And I don't think that that's how it works with God either. Uh, Well, this was great. Uh, Abby, Elizabeth, we are so grateful. Uh, Thank you for like taking some time to think about this stuff and and giving us your Sunday mornings. This was really, really great. Let me pray for us, if I could, for all of us. Uh, You know, I pulled pulled a poem for us that I'm going to pray over us. Uh, This is a a 14th century poem that I love uh, because it tears down spiritual imposter syndrome in a way that is very playful. So uh, this poem uh, from the 14th century is called, We Might Have to Medicate You. Let me read it for you. Resist your temptation to lie by speaking of separation from God. Otherwise, we might have to medicate you. In the ocean, a lot goes on beneath your eyes. Listen, they have clinics there too for the insane, 
who persist in saying things like, I am independent from the sea. I want to read that one more time. Resist your temptation to lie by speaking of separation from God. Otherwise, we might have to medicate you. In the ocean, a lot goes on beneath your eyes. Listen, they have clinics there too for the insane who persist in saying things like, I am independent from the sea. And as I pray, God, I love that poem. I love that, like, what, what, if, what if the insane position is to believe that we are not connected with God, that God is not all around us and in all things? What if that's the crazy thing? And I want us to feel that level of freedom that we're exploring today. And I want us to feel that when we come to you, we can come to you honestly and fully and expecting you to respond to us the way Jesus responds to people. Not that we have to come to you like apologizing for what a fraud we are. We just get so, we get nowhere when every prayer begins with apologizing for what a fraud we are. And so I just pray that you would encourage each of us now Encourage each of us to just leave behind all of the apologies for what a fraud we are and instead to rest in, as best we can, a belief that there is a God who loves us and cares for us, who treats us the way Jesus treats people, who does have more for us, who doesn't want us to get complacent, who does want us to grow and take next steps, but who does so in loving relationship with us. And so we just receive that. We receive that in any place that we felt shame in the past. And for anyone here who is like kind of like recognizing in their heart, there is like some shame that's being raked up right now in this moment as, as Vince is praying, I pray you're healing over that right now. God, you are a God that heals and shapes us and transforms us and brings us into new experiences of belonging and movement. And perhaps this is such a moment for anyone who's feeling that right now. So bring healing to these areas of shame. And may all of us feel this week, nothing like frauds. And instead, like people who are loved, people who are loved by the God of the universe. In your name. Amen.